Welcome to Sexuality After, the place we have real, raw conversations about how sexuality shifts and changes throughout our lives, especially after religion, parenthood, trauma, and loss. I hope by listening to these stories, you're inspired to leave shame behind. Embrace your sexuality wherever it is right now and know that you're not alone in the weird and wild experiences we all go through. Welcome to this episode of Sexuality After. With me today is Lori Reichel. Lori is the creator of Talk Puberty App, which is an app that prompts conversations between parents and teachers and students and children um, to talk about puberty and kind of anything regarding growing up and the changes in their bodies, et cetera, et cetera. Is that correct? I've kind of summarized that about your app. Yes. Yeah. The app is actually, it helps lead the discussion. So when parents and other caregivers are stuck, like, what do I say next? You open up, there's a variety of sections on the app and you open up like questions about most boys and there's just simple questions with a simple answer, which is age and developmentally appropriate. So it it leads the conversation and a child or a caregiver can also then say, oh, I I wonder about this and then continue the conversation because talking is a verb. Nice. Yes. So thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Um, She's also the podcaster of The Puberty Prof, author of Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and the co-author of Tools for Teaching Comprehensive Human Sexuality. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Phoebe, and (laughs) thanks for having this avenue for people to know more about human sexuality and the the everyday life of it, the naturalness, the normalcy. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. I would love to hear, to start a conversation this morning about your own experience growing up and maybe the two to three beliefs or teachings um, from your childhood regarding sex and sexuality and how that kind of impacted your life as you grew up. Okay. Well, Phoebe, I was a curious child and a naive child. And I like that part about me. And I need to have people understand that if anybody ever called you naive, please don't look at that as a negative thing. To me, it's that you are having the ability to learn something and you don't know everything. We don't know everything. So as a child, I was the child that loved the story, Horton Hears a Who, Mm -hmm. in which all voices need to be heard, uh, even the littlest so I love that, um, love that, that story. And I was raised uh, back uh, in New York, Long Island, New York, a smaller but town like we, well, now it's huge, but, um, and I was raised in going to church to receive communion and then confirmation. So what I learned uh as a child regarding human sexuality is that people didn't necessarily want to talk about it. It was very, um, if there was a discussion, it was shunned or there was, um, there was a joke made about it. 
Uh, and so it wasn't honest. She can't have this communication. I also heard messages about sin and that I remember a church service more than one where I heard the phrase like being conceived in sin. And it's like my spirit didn't feel that was right. That the terminology was like weird. Cause I was like, you know, I would hope that my mother and father did something out of love. And that's how I was created. And so for me that, that we're able to have that message come forward and that it's not a dirty thing and that people, if they're choosing to engage in sex, it's through consent. That is through their own desires, not because they're being pressured by another or pushed by another. Yeah. Does that answer your question there? Yeah. So growing up with this belief that sex is kind of dirty, not something people talk about, how did that impact you personally? Yeah, it's, it's, um, to me, I was curious. I, I was the kid that looked in the dictionary, all the words, like I would look up breast and I would look up penis. And, mm. um, and then if I uh, found a Playboy magazine, I was like, oh, let me, and I read the articles and I read, you know, like the, the little things, a lot of people will make the joke that they only got, you know, some kind of playboy to read the articles, not to look at the pictures, yeah. but I read the articles and I also looked at the pictures and I just thought it was silly that there are these pictures of, of women, younger women who would be cleaning like a, a horse in the barn, yeah. Yeah. scantily clad and clothing and, Oh, you caught me. I thought that was funny. Um, and so it just, you mean that's me, not how people clean horses? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just like when you get, uh, I used to get Victoria's Secret magazine in the mail and, you know, there's this woman just hanging out in this big room, only wearing her bra and, and panties. And it's like, yeah, that's how I hang out in my house yeah. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just what we do. And, you know, the joke of when we have a sleepover, we, we have these pillow fights yeah. uh, on the bed and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> it's the silliness and I don't mind the silliness. It's like, let's talk honestly. So I think if yeah. I go back to your question of how did that, what was your question of how did that help me as I was growing up? No, Sorry. How, like, how did it impact you? So like when you were, 12, 15, 17, and you are moving into figuring out your own sexuality and what sex is and how you feel about it and your hormones and meeting, dating boys or girls, you know, for the first time, how did that, did it impact the way you approach that? Well, for the puberty aspect, it didn't, um, it was, like a lot of people that I've spoke to on my puberty prof podcast, they've talked about how it's awkward during that stage. And you're trying to figure yourself out, you know, all of a sudden you have these breasts growing or you have this menstrual cycle or your hips are widening. You're not the same size. So that part, it was certainly trying to figure out what my body was feeling. Ugh, I didn't, I don't like admitting this, but I felt that I felt fat, chubby, and that was part of the hormones. And that's why when I talk to young people about puberty to say, if you're feeling that way, please understand that doesn't mean that you are that. It's just that your hormones are playing with that. And we're, we come in all sizes. Um, but the natural curiosity was there, yet I didn't act upon it. And in middle school, it was a weird, 
we had like a session that went in the morning, then the afternoon. And I was in the afternoon group and I didn't have friends until like maybe eighth grade. It was just like awkward, like socially in Mm -hmm. high school, uh, how things impacted me was I just, I was always a quiet kid that I observed And my friends, I saw that they were beginning to date. Some of them were sexually active. Um, Actually, one couple who are still married today, I actually introduced them and I love that. I thought that the relationships of dating and how it proceeded, I thought that was natural. Um, Myself, again, being very naive, I didn't always understand things. I did date somebody at one point that my parents didn't know of, my friends set me up. I caught him in four lies. And my thing is, if you lie to me and it's like a certain amount, you're, you're done. And there was yeah. no reason for him to lie. And so I know too, growing up, I was taught about when in relationships, you can't trust anybody, you can't trust anybody. And then to have this experience for a first dating, I was like, wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to be. So I swore off that I wasn't gonna date anybody again until college. But uh, I would see my friends doing things and then hearing uh, my friends tell me certain things that they experienced. And they knew I was so naive. My friends got together and they explained one one of them performed oral sex on this guy. And I was like, what did you do? What? Why would you do that? Why? Ew. And um, but I don't I don't know if she enjoyed it. And that kind of like, just like, why, like, I wanted to know some of the whys and I actually postponed doing certain things. I think because of my first dating experience, I wanted to make sure I listened to the little Lori inside that I want to make decisions for myself. And I'm not saying I made all the perfect decisions yet. I absorbed the messages around me and I've always tried to follow my gut, always try to follow who I am. And again, being naive, uh, one thing I did learn too, that there were men at times that would want to do things. And I would find myself in these situations that I, you know, this is a married man, he would not want to touch me. And then they would, I'd be like, whoa, what, you know, it was weird. And I wish that somebody would sit down and talk to me about that stuff. But I don't think that the adults in my life at that time had the skills to do that. Yeah. Because they weren't taught the skills. Totally. Um, how did you learn to listen to the little Lori voice inside of you? Like you listen to your gut when you were a teenager. Like that seems really crazy to me, like in a great way. <laughs> but like I, I most know. kids are just like, they follow social pressure, right? Yeah, they do. So I know we've always had the pressures around and we have like different ones now. Uh, Certainly social media, it's right in your face, can be all the time. It's, um, I, I, it's difficult to explain, but maybe a part of it is I was the third child. And at times, if you look at psychology of being the lost child, I didn't talk until I was after three years of age. And it might be because I saw that there was so much going on in my household. I um, had to, like when I went to first grade, my mother started a business. um, So I was a latchkey kid. I have a brother. I've two siblings. My my brother's one year older than I am. My sister's five years older. 
Um, so that disconnect, like the age, like a sixth grader playing with first grader, that wouldn't necessarily melt when my sister's going through puberty. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out what to do. And I spent a lot of time in my room. I read, and we also didn't have a lot of kids my age on the block. So I had to, it was like, in a way I was forced to be with myself Mm -hmm. and I just, I, it's part of who I am. I'm a processor. Something will happen. Like, and my partner can attest to this, something that happened on Sunday, I'll talk about on Monday night. Cause I'm like, okay, now I'm processing it. So I'm that reflective person. Yeah. And I, and again, I, I'm not saying I've always <laughs> did. I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes, Obviously. but I make sure that yeah. I learn from them and I don't want to carry the guilt with them. Yeah. Because I think there is a lot of guilt that's associated with certain things. And to me, I want to take the ride I bought the ticket for. As a kid, I just had this sense of you got to listen to myself. I, I had to. Um, mm. I know it's one of the questions you typically ask a lot of people about, you know, why did you go into the field that you you went into? And when I was in high school going into college, it was like I had family members that wanted me to be in the medical field because they thought that would make money and that would be a secure position. And I started along that way. And I was like, I wasn't the brainiac in the anatomy and physiology. Uh, That's why now when I talk with people at the college level, I'm like, it's okay if you don't know everything. It's okay. Um, Get through the classes. You'll, You'll learn more as you are on this planet. Yeah. Um, but at one point I took sociology classes and people are interesting. We're weird. Every family has something (laughs) weird, uh, dysfunctional in it. So I fell in love with sociology. And then I had the opportunity to work at Stony Brook university hospital as an undergraduate student. And I became a phlebotomist that, um, taken blood. And I had to be at work at six o'clock in the morning in which that in itself was a protective factor that I didn't get involved in anything like alcohol use. Um, I didn't, I was always very responsible because we have alcoholism in the family. And I'm like, I'm not going down that road. I'm not, we had people that died early in life. I'm going to take the ride I bought a ticket for and have a responsible relationship with alcohol. Yeah. But then when I was a phlebotomist, anyway, going back to that, we had to end our rounds on the AIDS floor, the Mm -hmm. AIDS wing and HIV and AIDS were still being figured out. I would say it was already out for five years, but we had this wing where when people had their T cell counts drop, they would go into the hospital to have it get acclimated. And if the T cell counts went above like 200 or another number, they could go back out, you know, to their homes and lives and stuff. So what I noticed was that some of my peers who were older than me, some close in age, some people judged these people with HIV. And it was like, well, they deserved what they got. And there was something that's inside of me that's like, how can you say somebody deserves something? It's like, you deserve to be punished. Um, I have an issue with that because I think people are doing the best they can with the tools they've been provided. And some people aren't provided tools. So... Um, some of the the negativity. It's just like saying to someone, oh, you smoke, so you deserve cancer. Now, wait a minute, let's back up. Let's talk about that relationship that you have a higher probability about getting cancer or having a heart disease, but that doesn't mean a person deserves it. Yeah. 
you know, that kind of thing. So, and these are my beliefs, people can disagree, but there were people that had contracted it that like one gentleman, he was an IV drug user and he regretted his decisions. He did. And his mom was visiting him. They were from the South. And his mom was like, I told you boy not to do them drugs. I told you boy, she had this cool Southern mm -hmm. accent. And he's like, I know mama, I know. Because as you took his blood, <clears throat> he had so much scar tissue from doing IV drugs that he kind of like had a soft root with a needle yeah. and, it, and it hurt for him. Um, and then there was a woman who contracted HIV because her husband cheated on her mm -hmm. and she passed on and she had two young children and I don't know whatever happened to him. And then there was one patient, his name is Joe. And when he would come into the hospital, he was angry he would like you try to take his blood and he might say the F word at you, call you a, a female dog. And, you know, like, <laughs> and I was so intrigued about why he was so angry. And so I would always volunteer to take his blood. Like I'd see his name on the board. I'd be, I'd be like, I'm going to take Joe's blood. And some days I would was told, Nope, don't even go by him. And then other days he'd be like, fine. And put out his arm and and he would go in and out of the hospital. The last time I saw Joe, I walked into his room and I was waiting for that, that, ah, that energy of anger. And he's sitting there like a child wearing a diaper. He had um, the cartoons on the TV. Like he was kind of like just staring at it. And he had a, um, like a wee wee pad bib. Yeah. on him with scrambled eggs and drool coming from his mouth and onto the bib. I took his blood because the nurse had said I could take it. And I was like, he wasn't Joe anymore. And it yeah. hit me like, whoa, this guy, it, it went to his nervous system. It went to his brain. This impacted him. And when I was trying to figure out next steps, because again, family members were like, become a doctor. And I was like, I'm not enjoying that interventionist part. I sat in my room and I was like, what am I going to do? Because I was about to graduate too with a sociology degree. And it came to me. And this is where I always go with young people, like go and honor yourself, do some breathing, go out in nature, do something where you don't have all the extra noise around you. So you can hear your inner voice. And if you believe in a higher power, if you believe in God, you know, listen to the God voice, listen to the higher power voice. And that voice inside of me said, you know, it's, it's not about intervention, it's about prevention. Why don't you teach health education to young people? Why don't you get them so they can prevent contracting this? And if somebody does contract something like HIV, teach them empathy. Mm -hmm. Because the, the thing with Joe was when he passed on, I don't believe anybody was, was with him. And he was a guy like in his early 30s. He, I didn't see any balloons in his room, any cards, no family visitors. I believe he was a gay male. And I know that there was so much prejudice against that. And I'm like, nobody should die alone. Mm -hmm. So that, and I don't know why I don't. So that's what kind of led me to about why do people not want to talk honestly about this? Why can't we, why do we have to go to this? You deserve what you got. So how can I be an energy of saying, let's be positive. Let's be caring. Let's help people. Yeah, absolutely. What I have taught in the K through 12 setting, because I'm a former 
New York State health teacher, and now I train future health and physical educators. I coordinate at the um, the health and physical education program at Western Michigan University, and I um, it's what we teach now in health education classes is about skills. It's about communication skills, decision-making skills, advocating, asking, accessing reliable resources. So for me, if we could have stronger health programs throughout the country, some programs are already teaching skill-based. I wasn't taught that growing up. It was more scare tactic kind of stuff in health education, as well as in other courses. Um, But I wish that I was Talk, given the tools, not only the knowledge, but how do I communicate with someone? Right. And if I'm going to engage in sexuality, like how can I communicate that it's it's not only about one person's pleasure, it's about both people's pleasure. Um, how to communicate better for that, how to make the best decisions about things and to go to someone. And that's where, like when you had said, talked about, you know, like, oh, if I can only be given the knowledge, not only the knowledge, but to be told, if something happens, come to me. And you're going to, there won't be a place of judgment. This is, um, I won't tell you it's your fault, because I think earlier generations were told that if you something happened, what did you do? And I know that this is even like, maybe eight years ago, which isn't that long ago, I was sitting at a a restaurant at the bar area, having a meal. I went there for a meal by myself. It was this nice restaurant. And next to me was this couple. And it was an older gentleman and his girlfriend was like maybe 30 years younger. And he was making passes at me. And I was like, but you're, and I was telling the bartender, I'm like, can you like try to do something? He keeps on talking with me. He goes, oh, I thought you were with him. I'm like, no, but he keeps on flirting. And he has his girlfriend or wherever she was there. It was disrespectful. And And I know some people would say, why didn't you just tell them off? It was like, I wasn't expecting it. I go back to that naiveness. Um, But when I told a family member about it, they told me, well, it's your fault. You shouldn't have sat there. Why were you sitting alone at the bar? And I'm like, wait a minute. It's this victim blaming. (laughs) So, and I'm so proud of the fact that being in the K through 12 setting, students told me stuff and I didn't come from that place of judgment. I didn't. I mean, I'm not saying I agreed with decisions because at times I would have a student say, yeah, I had to get my stomach pumped, you know, last weekend, but they wanted to tell me and I was their health teacher. And I was like, Oh, you know, you got your stomach pumped. I could only imagine what that feels like, you know, like, and they're like, I'm not going to ever do that again. I'm like, okay, so you, you learned something from it, but I wasn't like, yeah, you deserve that. And I have this one story of, uh, somebody that, chose to have sex and she was a high school student and I was leaving work one day. I saw her sitting in front of the middle school, which was across the street from the high school. And when I saw her there and she looked really sad, I was like, okay, turn around, go park your car. And I walked up to her and she's like, don't worry, Miss Reichel, you know, it's, I'm okay. And I was like, no, you're sad. So I'm just going to sit with you. And I sat on the curb with her and I said, are you okay? She's like, yeah. And she shared with me that she made the decision with her boyfriend that they were going to have sex. They had done certain things, but they were going to have do it, have intercourse. And they were in a relationship for a while. They communicated effectively. They planned on a condom. 
They, they did everything we want people to do for their first sexual experiences, have this consent on both sides. Let's talk about prevention. Let's talk about expectations. Turned out the condom broke, which is not unusual if you, you're not using it correctly. You know, that's why I always encourage students practice using it before yeah. you're in the moment, because in the moment your hormones are all over the place. So, um, and it's nobody's fault. It happens. So the condom broke. So they had the pregnancy scare and I was like, Oh, okay. And I was like, did you talk to your parents? Yes. She spoke with her parents. He spoke with his parents. So I look at that and I'm like, Oh, they did everything for themselves. And she's not pregnant. There was no STIs, anything like that because they didn't do anything with anybody beforehand and stuff. And I was like, well, what's going on? Why are you so sad? And she's like, he broke up with me. And I was like, and it makes sense because being 17 that they were and they had a pregnancy scare, that would scare a lot of people from wanting to do it again. And he realized from what I understand that this got serious really quickly and he's not ready for it. Because that, in a way, I didn't do that. But when I, when I was a teenager and I found out the guy I was dating lied to me, I was like, no, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for somebody to lie. I want healthy communication. I can't handle this right now. So I'm going to postpone future things. So she was sad about that. And there was nothing I can do to remove the heartbreak because heartbreak hurts, but I could be there with her and to sit there without judgment and to say, I'm really sorry. It sucks. Heartbreak sucks. And she's like, yeah. And she can cry. But that is, I, I wish everybody to have somebody to talk with and not just one person, but a lot so they can go. And if they have a pregnancy scare or if they did something that was sexual and they didn't understand it or they were confused, that they can flat out say, Phoebe, can I talk with you about something? And trust that you're not then going to turn around and tell everybody else because that's something that to me right now, I'm saddened for people because it seems like they're supposed to tell the world they did something and then they talk about it. And at times very disrespectfully. And like I've seen it on TV shows and, and I watch some of these TV shows. But as soon as somebody has a date, well, did you have sex with them? How was it? Uh, you know, and why would, I, I don't know. It's just, I don't think that the gossip helps. I think that we're not honoring people. Um, so yeah, I think that not only provide the information, but the tools and the trust. That's the other thing, the trust. Um, and yeah. the trust comes in non-judgment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just like when you go to a gynecologist, you know, if you go to a medical professional, you should be able to trust them and ask questions. Um, and I think this relates to your podcast and feel free to edit this out if you choose to. When I was going for undergrad for college, I instinctively knew that I was supposed to get physicals every year. So I had asked a family member to take me to a gynecologist. I asked them to take me to, for a physical. They ended up taking me to a gynecologist. I did not, was not having sex. I was 18, never had sex. Nobody even touched my breast, you know? So, and the gynecologist was like, okay, you know, you had to take off everything. You have the robe on and stuff. And the nurse was in the room and he started touching and I didn't even know what to expect. 
And it was like, what the, and he's touching me. And then he's trying to put a speculum in me. And my, my, the opening of my vagina was actually very small. The hymen was, um, was there and it was very, very small. So it hurt when he was putting in. And sometimes it happens too, for some people's first sexual intercourse experience. And I was like, ow. He's like, well, I have to do this if you want to get tested. And I wasn't expecting this. And I was like, no. And I found that voice again. And I don't know how, but I'm so thankful. I'm I'm blessed with it. And I said, stop, take it out. And he did. And he got annoyed at me. And so then he's like, well, go get your mother. I got my clothes on. Go get your mother. And we have to go into my office. And he seemed annoyed. So I went to go get my mother and I fainted because I was like so overwhelmed with all of this. And we went into his office and he's like, yeah, she has a very small opening. And he gave me a, um, it's kind of like a test tube to help stretch, open the opening. And I used it a few times, you know, for the weeks after, but I felt unnatural. It didn't feel right. So I stopped doing it. And it, and I don't, I wasn't upset at my mother for taking me because she didn't know too. Nobody taught her. I love my mother very much, but she wasn't provided the tools. And she thought, I wanted to have this sexual health checkup. I just wanted to have a regular physical, get my blood tests and all that right. stuff. I'm a natural health educator. And so what I've chosen to do is to help people know what to expect now, as soon as they, you know, before they go for an appointment, so they're explained what to expect. But now I know a lot of people, medical professionals are trained to do that before the examination, which I'm so grateful for. Because to me, that was a, a violation talk to me. Don't make this assumption that just because I'm here, I'm sexually active. And I was told that throughout by certain doctors, like, well, you did this. I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't. So, um, and to me again, when I wanted that area stretched, the vaginal opening stretch, I wanted it to be done because I was in love. And again, these are my values in love with somebody that expressed love and would care for me. So it was something that I could trust the person that kind of thing. So yeah, let's provide the tools. Let's support. So people have happy and healthy experiences pertaining to their reproductive system, pertaining to their sexual health, pertaining to their sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. You were mentioning earlier um, a couple of things that people do that really slam the door on having any kind of conversation, especially around sex and sexuality. Can you talk about those things? Sure. In my 40s, I went back for school and I got received my doctorate at Texas A&M, which is a big research institute. And I decided to research, uh, talk to parents for my research about how they talk to children at grades three, four, and five about human sexuality. Because I had this bias of you know, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you teaching? Like some parents would talk to their kids, but others were like so fearful. And I was like, why? You know, I talk with kids and it's so natural and the kids are curious and they're not running out and having sex afterwards. You know, why are you, you know, I had this bias. Why are you having these issues? My research had me do a 180 and which is like, there's reasons why they haven't been taught. There's fear. Uh, there's that fear of if I teach my child, they're going to engage in sex and it's going to be at an early age. If I teach my child this, the other parents are going to judge me. Um, I don't even know what is age and developmentally appropriate. I don't have the tools. So it's, it's like instead of, and sometimes you can get so passionate about something, 
but how can you then push someone to that you have to do this if they're not really prepared, if it hasn't been explained. So, and I'm glad that I never, I don't think I've ever pushed anything on parents, although there's probably one that comes to mind that's like, I don't want my son in your class when you talk about sex. In New York state, there are laws that state children are going to be in health class, except if it was HIV prevention, which is like condom stuff. And um, so her child didn't have to be in class for that. Um, but I've always explained to parents and other caregivers, what we're really trying to do in the schools is that we're trying to provide them to have healthy relationships. It's not about sex ed, it's about how do you have friends? How do you have a healthy relationship with a partner? What are those aspects? You know, it deals with effective communication skills. It deals with um, intimacy, not the physical part all the time, but sharing your values with someone and feeling safe and it can be physical. Um, and it's about financial um, partnership too. And then, you know, let's talk about unhealthy relationships. What are those, what do those look like and how can you get out of those? And I, I talked realistically to parents about the courses. And when I said, this is what we're really teaching. It's about healthy decision-making. They're like, oh, you know, that's really cool. Can I take this class? Cause I never had this class. So I highly recommend that people talk logically when they want to gain the support for sex ed, because I believe in sex education. However, understand your audience. It's, it's scary for them at times, not for everyone, but it's scary regarding parents talking with their kids. One of the things that I've learned with my research is that parents sometimes expect their child to come to them with questions and they'll say well yeah I tell my child come you know I I went over something about their bodies and come to me with questions but if they haven't modeled that yeah then how in the world can your child know how to do that and modeling is so important it's a theoretical concept but I've seen it like the modeling of, for me as a health educator, if I model healthy behaviors, other people can follow along. You see it with dogs. Like when we got a new puppy, like she learned a lot from the older dog because of her behaviors and she modeled it. Some positive, some not so positive. So that modeling is really important. Uh, so we need to model going to our children and having a conversation, not expecting them to be the responsible one to come to us. So that's one thing. The other thing is a barrier is the terminology. And when I would talk to parents in my interviews and I was like, well, what terms do you, you use with your child for body parts? Oh, I use, you know, vagina, vulva, penis. But then in the conversation, they would say other terms. It's like, okay, potentially you're not. And I have the theory that when you're using slang terms for these body parts, that in itself creates a barrier. It doesn't show you're comfortable. Because think about it, Phoebe, when you and I, if we were talking about like ears, how many slang terms are there for the body part ears? Hearing holes? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know any, you know, for nose, we have the schnoz, we have like certain, but when you get to the term vulva, there's a variety of slang terms. And one study that I had seen was with um, moms and with younger children, it was a survey online and they were asked, what do you call 
you know, the, the reproductive parts of bodies. They had for females, there's a list of 84, no, I think it was 90 something, 92 terms that this group of women referred to for the typical female anatomy and not the typical, I should say the, what we think of as typical female anatomy. And then there was like 84 for male reproductive parts. There's this long list. And I've sat down with friends going, how many can you think of? You know, I can come up to maybe 30 and that's a combination of all parts. But that shows me that that's another barrier that as soon as we start saying your PP, your TT, your coochie, it shows you're not comfortable. So why in the world would I approach you if you're not feeling comfortable? It's a vulva, it's a clitoris, it's a, it's a scrotum sac. This is what it is. And certainly in a health class, I've said, listen, go ahead, go through the slangs. But when we're talking about it, if you use a slang once, that's it. It can only be said once because this is natural. It's a natural part of your body. So those, I think, are two major ones of having the expectation of your child having to come to you when it wasn't modeled, and then how we term things. And I also know that for when we talk about consent and prevention of sexual abuse, although it's not a child's fault ever when that happens, that if they have the proper terminology for the parts we can discover it quicker and get them the support they need so that they don't hear. And I know there was this case uh, when I was working in Wisconsin, uh, my peer shared with me that um, uh, the girl was taught about her, her vulva was her butterfly. And so when she was telling, you know, a judge about, yeah, my uncle or whoever it was touched my butterfly Unfortunately, that didn't uphold in court. And it's not the child's fault. It's never the child's fault. But the case was dismissed. And that was only one piece of it. But the empowerment, we know that if we can say vulva. And, and like, like even in the classroom, if, well, yeah, my uncle and I or my, or my neighbor and I were talking about my, my cookies. And, you know, okay, cookies, that's food. But it really is slang term for something else if we don't catch that, you know, because we need to get support for that child. And the sooner we can get support, the healthier they can become like faster. You know, let's resolve this stuff faster. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, sexual trauma in childhood during puberty or before and how that impacts kids um, in their development? Sure. It's more definitely, it's not physical development because puberty is puberty, you know, the hormones being released, all that stuff. But the, uh, if they're not shown that this is a respectful thing um, and if they haven't um, like some children are sometimes still sent the message that it's your fault because you were cute or you acted in a certain way that they carry this guilt and that they're unhealthy stuff in their life is their fault. And it's not. Uh, I'm a proponent of, you know, the consent and we're having an increase in consent education. And I do share with young people the age of consent and it's there to protect children. It's there because an adult knows better. So that those early messages can impact 
healthy relationships in the future in which they carry guilt. And I also, um, I've seen that sometimes when children are inappropriately touched, sometimes I note that their bodies are actually, they're bigger. And part of that to me is that protective shell that, well, if I have this outside, I won't be touched. I've seen that with certain children. So it can go deeper. Um, and that deals of course with the body. But when we talk about health, it's, um, social, mental, emotional, environmental, physical, spiritual, uh, that they all work together for wellness. So it's not, um, if we can provide children the tools too of speaking up once we talk about inappropriate touch to say, if this happened years ago, it's not your fault. You can always go and tell someone and these are the people and there's this cool activity I recommend parents and other caregivers do with their kids and they, they do the outline like the turkey thing with their hand where they outline their hand and then they put in each finger names of specific people they can go to if they ever need to talk about something and very specific, excuse me, so it's not like the nursery school teacher, that's not a name, say, uh, Miss Reichel, put that in there and if Miss Reichel didn't hear you, she's busy or didn't believe you, you then go to this person and then you go to this person. So they get to somebody to start that they can get the healing process done sooner. Um, yeah, we need to do that. I actually, earlier in my life, I had met somebody that was repeatedly sexually assaulted before she was in the first grade. And it was by two teenage boys who one of them definitely had that happen to him as a child. So it's like that cycle that, that was repeating in his life. And we need to stop that cycle sooner. But uh, she never expressed it. And it's not her fault. It's not her fault because she didn't have the family setting too that noted. Um, it was, she grew up in a time where children should be seen and not heard. And sometimes you're not supposed to be seen. And that's how I grew up too. Um, so when it finally, uh, when her past memories were released, it was because she was out of that household setting that she grew up in and she started reverting back to being in five years old again. And that was really powerful because I was at the beginning of my teaching career and I was teaching some things about um, unsafe and safe touches with children. And so to see her like relive these experiences in a way, going back and feeling safe that she could be a little child and then express some of this stuff. And so I was one of the people that, well, I helped somebody get her help and just seeing that she got, that she worked with an art therapist. I love art therapy. I think it's so powerful mm -hmm. for people. She worked with counselors. Her family was brought in. And from what I understand, she's now working with girls that have had has they have had similar experiences yeah. and which she probably has the skill set to help them so well. I don't know if she's ever going to, or if she has had a romantic and or sexual relationship with another because that was broken at that time. And when something's broken, it doesn't mean it can't be fixed, but there's going to be some, you'll see uh, just like a broken heart. There's going to be a little, a little scar there, but it can also grow bigger, your heart. Yeah. There's a healing process that has, has to happen. Yes. And it shifts things to something yeah. else, but it's not necessarily 
like incapable or like, it's not that it doesn't work. It just might work differently or something like that. Yeah. I love that you point. Oh, go ahead. I I do believe that we need to talk uh, honestly with, and I don't mean to, well, I'm going to say it in this way because Peggy Orenstein who's wrote the book, girls and sex and boys and sex and her research that she did for those books, she does note differences that for female, sometimes we do things for the other person, we, for their pleasure and uh, for what she wrote in her book for boys and sex, some of the violence, she pointed out some of the violent terms that are used for sex, like, did you slam her? And it's like, so how can we, get people on the same page to say, this isn't about violence. This is about respecting one another and having pleasure if you choose to do this. So I would love to see that we can start having those messages at a younger age. And that's why I started the Puberty Prof. I want, I'm trying to provide tools for parents earlier and other caregivers at earlier that they can start having these conversations with children so if they listen to the podcast, the Puberty Prof podcast, they can feel more comfortable. And some do listen with their children, but start having those conversations. So when you start getting into the more acts of sex, that you and your child already created a base that it can totally. continue. Yeah, absolutely. What are the three, if you had to choose, if you could only choose three messages to give children growing up about sex, sexuality in their bodies, what would they be? One message is definitely love your body. This mm-hmm. is your body. It's special. It's, uh, you know, you, we have all these different parts of the body and all body parts have the right to be happy and healthy. So it's your body. Another message is that if you choose to, some, to do something with your body with another uh, check in with yourself. The I don't agree with the media messages of, uh, and this is to young people, adults. That's something else. We we have some life experience. We have to be responsible for our own decisions. If we meet somebody and do something sexual the first time we meet them, um, okay, that's a decision. For younger people that if that's modeled, you know, on TV shows, on something they watch on Netflix, that you meet somebody and then you definitely jump in bed. That's not what you have to do. There's nothing wrong with figuring it out along the stages. And that maybe that's that naive part of me, but I think it's, it's sweet. It's like when you, um, it's just like when you, you learn to drive a car, you don't just don't jump on the highway and go 90. You actually, you know, you might work with somebody in a parking lot first when you physically get into the car. But first, you also read a book. You watch some videos on it or something. And please watch appropriate things, um, real things. Uh, but then, you know, like, like go. So you're feeling comfortable. You're feeling comfortable. Uh, so that's I want I choose for people to. If again, honor their body. And if they're going to do something with somebody else, ensure that you're feeling comfortable along the way. I know that the hormones at times are going mm-hmm. to be released. You know, always check in with yourself because be your best friend. Uh, the third thing would be 
if you have questions, if you're like, I did something and I didn't like this or go to someone that you trust, know your network. And I know that sometimes young people go to a friend. Um, when we're younger, we're still trying to figure out who our friends are. Just like when we're adults, we're still doing that. Yet if you can find a health teacher that's open, that can empower you, go to that health teacher. If you had said like, if there is um, an aunt out there, um, this was in another podcast that you had, like if there's a network uh, and the person you had on the podcast talked about a community, it can, might be a parent that you go to. It might be um, a godparent. It might be a step parent. It could be, um, you know, go to someone that you can have no judgment that you can say, this is what happened. And I'm confused about it. And okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That is confusing. So those are my three things. Yep. Perfect. And what's the main message you would want parents to know? Be kind to yourself about these conversations too. Uh, The, Sometimes as parents, as adults, we can feel so guilty that it has to be perfect. Nothing is perfect on this planet. No relationship is perfect. It's, there's going to be conflicts. And it's really through those conflicts that you build on a, a base of a relationship. So be kind to yourself. The, um, yeah, go and attempt, try to find these teachable moments, sit down, uh, like you had brought up right away when you started this episode about I have the Talk Puberty app. Um, you do have to purchase it. It's $1.99. And that's because I didn't want anything inappropriate to show up for the app. Like when you have the word breast, I don't know if they're going to send naked pictures or something because when you have a free app, any ad can appear from what I understand. But use something like that to help guide your conversation. Make fun of the questions. Uh, You can make a joke. Like if you're talking about puberty, share something goofy with yourself with puberty. Like I share with my students that I, the first time I shaved my armpit hair, I was in the sixth grade and I used my father's Barbasol shaving cream and it had what's considered a male cologne scent. So later on in the day, when I was sitting in this packed auditorium, and it, I was sweating. All the kids around me were like, who's wearing cologne? And it was coming from my armpits, you know, mm-hmm. like, that's funny. Yeah. Um, and to to be real, but to honor yourself, you know, like you can go in steps to start the conversation, be kind to yourself, because a lot of us were provided the tools when we were younger. There are tools out there. There's some awesome tools. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at pubertyprofitgmail.com and also check out my website. You know, like you can send something to me and I can show you where other tools are. There are some people that are, they're considered sex educators because they really want to focus on like older youth. I chose to be the puberty prof because to support parents and other caregivers earlier in life and not for them to easily hear the sex word right away, but to go in steps because part of it is we're kind of healing how we were taught as children. Yeah. And if you weren't taught healthy sexuality, that fear can automatically come in. Yeah. Something that comes up a lot when I talk to people is 
like a lot <laughs> is, um, you know, shame around exploration when your kids like, oh, my sister and I like masturbated each other or um, just say shame around themselves masturbating when they're younger or, you know, this thing that they did with the neighbor kid and, or, oh, I masturbated all the time. Is that normal? Like just a lot of shame around touching and masturbating and exploring. Can you speak on that? And uh, for your listeners, I'll let them know, because I know that when they hear about sex education being taught, even at the younger grades, masturbation isn't necessarily the topic that is discussed. Uh, It's more about body parts and healthy relationships and that there's different types of families and safe touch, unsafe touch and stuff. Uh, Certainly, I highly recommend parents and other family caregivers to say especially if they see their child with that interest to say that's natural curiosity. That's it's like when a child wants to read all these books, that's a natural curiosity for the brain. And it's to, to say, if you do choose to do this and you don't have to do this, because I think that's the other implication that everyone's supposed to do this. No, it, it's your comfort level. So if you choose to do this, uh, I recommend teaching them, you know, make sure your hands are clean because just like if we eat with dirty hands or, and we put our dirty hands into our mouth, we might get a germ and we might have a yucky stomach, a uh, stomach ache. Um, but same thing in that area of the vulva and the penis, the scrotum, um, exploring the vaginal opening, the, we don't want to create a UTI. And I'm not trying to start with a fear base, but it's just like clean hands. Use clean hands, wash your hands. And I, you know, you might know that certain things you like and certain things you don't like, and that's okay. And actually when, as you age and you get into a relationship that you can tell your partner, this is what I like, and this is what I don't like. So to remove that shame, um, I do have a belief that people knowing what pleases them is helpful in a sexual relationship mm-hmm. because if you don't know how can your partner know yeah and if people have watched things that aren't telling the truth like you watch a movie and the first sexual experience between two people everyone's like oh that was so great odds are if you have a clitoris you might not have had an orgasm the first time, your first sexual experience with someone. It's just the reality. Yeah. Because to teach your partner to tell them, and we haven't always been provided those skills of, yeah, what you were doing, because what you see too, if, you, if you've seen porn, that stuff doesn't necessarily excite. It can be more of a bother at times, depending upon what you see. So that self-exploration can be helpful for for people that choose to do it. Um, And I also, you know, this is something that's with your body. Um, It's this, the other thing that we, these are my values is that if you do something, you don't have to share it with others. Cause I think two people have that uh, cause we have seen it modeled so much in the media that you do something, you have to tell everybody, no, that's private. 
we've lost that sense. Uh, like I said earlier about with my partner, it stays between us because I respect him. I will honor him. And I don't think it's respectful of, you know, like, oh yeah, we did this last night. It's between the two of us. And that's what strengthens our bonds. Certainly if I have a concern that I can talk to somebody that's going to be non-judgmental and medical professional. But does that go, does that answer your question, Phoebe, about, you know, like self-exploration? That is, it's, it's part of your body. So it's the same thing. And I, I've been trained in teaching children about mindfulness. And I also attempt to practice it daily. It's that like centering, it's that there's a body scan of, you know, like, how can I know that my leg is really hurting? And when I do body scans with college students now, they're like, you know, I didn't realize my foot was hurting. And the only way you can understand things is to really sit with your body for a little bit. So if you want to sit with your body and touch certain parts, and you might notice that if you touch like a certain part in your shoulder, you're like, hey, that's kind of fun. You know, like I like that feeling there mm -hmm. um, to teach people because um, there are even people, it's not even about self-exploration and masturbation, but for people to know their boundaries of don't touch my shoulder. I know I accidentally in a classroom, I was like, Hey, that's a good answer. And I tap somebody on the shoulder and they're don't touch me. I don't like that. And I was like, thank you. I'm so sorry. I need to honor you. And it was just something very, it's like, like if I was here, I'd be like, Hey, as a go, you know, but that's what people need to figure out for themselves about their, their body bubble. They yeah. have a right to have their body bubble respected. And again, if they are allowing people into their body bubble, what, can that person touch, yeah. you know, for friendship and then for romantic and or sexual relationships. How do you teach kids about knowing what is safe and what is not safe exploration with themselves or others? Like where's the line between healthy and unhealthy exploration? Well, certainly if you're, if you're doing something and it's taking you away from your everyday tasks, uh, and that's where addictions can come in. Like for anything, if I'm supposed to do chores at home, but I'm so engrossed in something else, that's not help, helpful because in the family, and I encourage families to do this, that everybody has a responsibility. That's we're on this planet. We have responsibilities for a community. So add, so add to those, like do your responsibilities. But if you're participating in any activity, that's taking you away from everyday stuff, that can be a concern. So you're talking Does about like sense? if you masturbate so much that um, you can't do your daily tasks, that's like a addiction to masturbation. Is that? that that's I... a concern. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know how they would specify, but it's a concern that if it's taking you away from other stuff uh, because there is like to go to school, you know, we go to school, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, and for, and also the, whether it be with yourself or somebody else to listen to your gut, we do. Um, sometimes we teach people to think too much, but our body usually can figure things out. Like all of a sudden, like, Oh, I don't like that. And then we start thinking it of, well, you know, I've seen this on TV, other people like that, but I don't like that. No, this is, I don't like that. The, um, you have to honor yourself, to listen to yourself. So the two things there, again, listening to yourself, listening to your gut. And, and that goes to any behavior though. 
that that's that's why I think that human sexuality is another part of who we are. So anything that you're like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I don't feel comfortable doing that yoga pose. Then nobody should be forcing you into a yoga pose. It's that whole thing of finding your voice and going, if you have a yoga instructor, that's like, you have to do it this way. No, my body doesn't feel comfortable that way. It's the same thing with anything with sexuality that I don't feel comfortable. So I need to honor myself. I will honor myself. And again, with self-exploration of, um, or exploration with someone else, it's, if it's distracting you from other things, if it's, if it's taking you away, that it's towards that road of addiction that I would consider a concern. Um, certainly we know like in the schools and I'm a former K through 12 person, if a child is doing it during school, they need to learn that that's not the place to do it. We don't do this in public. It's a private thing. And it's, there are places, and if it's like, you're in the bathroom too long, no, we don't, we're at school now. And there's responsibilities at school, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Um, knowing and I'm going to throw in one yeah. other thing. Yeah. I know, because I, I joke, I, I know somebody that's now, um, they're doing their residency. And I like watching Grey's Anatomy, especially the early shows. But when the some of the messages that you see in a show like that is that people are at work and then they go and have sex in the, the on-call room. That's not realistic. It's not. So, and I would think most places of business would be like, no, we don't do that in that room. We don't do that. So to talk honestly, when you see something, that's a teachable moment to say, you know, at work, like when I'm at the university doing my job, I'm not running into a room with my partner and, and engaging in sex. That's, this is the work area. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that there's not, you can't have a fantasy and you can't do certain things, but it's not part of people's typical work day when you see that on TV. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Um, when you talk about, like you've talked a lot in this interview about kids listening to their gut and mm -hmm speaking up and telling somebody and personally, I feel like that can be really hard for kids to do or to know like, mm -hmm. what is their gut saying? Because there's a few reasons, like if you've experienced, um, you know, sexual trauma beforehand, like when you're a child, you don't know that you can say no, especially to like an authority figure like the way you said no to that doctor when you were a teenager, that's yep. fucking amazing. I, I just don't think a lot of people know that they have a voice, that they can use it, that it's safe to use it. So that blocks a lot of kids. I know yeah. um, for me, I was taught directly to not listen to my inner voice, that it was mm -hmm. dangerous and sinful. And I felt so guilty about masturbation, about sex growing up, not because I thought it was bad or guilty. It wasn't coming from me. It's because I was taught that I should feel guilty. And that was like a huge aha moment for me when I realized like, actually, I don't feel guilty about having sex before marriage. I was just taught that I should feel guilty about having sex before marriage, mm -hmm. but I'm having sex with my boyfriend and we love each other and it feels really good for me actually. Hmm. Interesting. And so like, 
Is there some like trick that you use or some way of explaining it to kids that helps them to A, be able to identify what, like, what is a gut feeling and how, how do you, how do you know how you feel about things versus what you're taught you should or shouldn't feel? And then also if saying no has not been an option for you before, how, like, how can you start healing that as a kid and all of a sudden be able to say no? Like, how do you know who to trust? Like those five people, right? Like a lot of times people have gone to somebody and their trust has been broken. So how do you start? Like, Mm -hmm. that just seems really complicated. It is. Given our upbringings. It is. And I, I have to say again, that for a child, if they're inappropriately touched, it's not their role to say no, it's not there because as a child, it's the adult's responsibility that's supposed to take care of the child yeah. and somebody broke that. So for a child, if they're listening to this and they're like, I should have said no, no, you didn't. That's not your fault. It is not your fault. Upon you wanting to talk with somebody about this, go to a trusted person. And I am, there are awesome educators out there. I know it's not 100%. It's like in every in every field, not everybody 100% is going to be the perfect person or the person you can go to. But there are a lot of great educators, like even in the preschool setting, I teach a class for future preschoolers and elementary school people, daycare people. They have to take this class and we talk about being approachable, that a child can go to us and ask questions or tell us something. And that we we react in as loving a way as possible, um, but for that inner, that that gut, that voice, um, I recommend I turn off the electronics. And let's say that there is a fifth grader or a parent or other caregiver of a fifth grader listening right now. Would you please have time when you don't have the noise of electronics around you? Have those times if it's one day a week where it's no electronics. So allow everyone to figure out how to have a day without having to be on a computer, without having to watch Netflix, without having, you know, the the game in our hands to go and explore to if it is reading a book, if it is going for a hike to play with Play-Doh, play with blocks, whatever it is, get that natural curiosity turn off the noise around you. Um, And I do, the more I do it, the mindfulness, I, I believe in it. We have, um, when we talk about mindfulness and we teach it to people of all ages, we talk about the monkey brain where mindfulness is attempting to, uh, this is my definition of being with your body, hearing your body and, you know, like paying attention to your breath. And sometimes, oh, a thought came in like, oh, I got to do this. And it's like the monkey is going from one branch to another in your brain to help yourself do that. Surround yourself with people who respect you and who are kind that can help you cure your voice. I think one, I've seen it and I'll ask people for advice myself, but I think sometimes people, we run too much to others to ask for advice and, and we can hear it, but then sit with that. And that's that person's thought. What is your decision? And it's that, the, like the decision-making process. It's like, how can we help people 
slowed down with that decision-making process to make the best choices they can make and then reflect if they didn't like the choice, you know, how can I do things differently? Um, For sexuality, read some books that are actually positive regarding it, not books that say everybody's doing it, but books that are saying some people do this and some people don't, and it's okay, whatever you do. And that's cool that if you, Phoebe, have a boyfriend and you had sex before marriage, then, you know, I I find it kind of silly that sometimes where we're taught, you know, you're going to be judged and there's religiosity with that. And, oh, you're going to be judged. Well, you know what? The people sitting in the pews aren't the ones that's supposed to be judging. That's not the judge. So everybody realize everybody's doing the best they can. People are going to make mistakes. And sometimes it's because they're feeling guilty that they judge you, but that I don't believe is fair. So I don't, again, for myself, listening to my voice, listening. And I'm glad that I had friends in the high school. I had, I got a really good group of friends at one one point that allowed me to be me, allowed me to be my goofy part, to be the quiet part, to be the inquisitor, mm-hmm. um, have that social network. Yeah. And go to those books. I know there's one, it's by Heather Corina that I like high schoolers and college students to read because it's just, it's honest. There's um, one page of her book are diagrams of reproductive parts like scrotum sacs and penises and vulvas and they all look different and they're drawn in they're not actual pictures but it represents that we all look different and we Uh, do yeah so go to those resources to note that we look different and i get the and i know we had this self-esteem movement many years ago even 20 years ago like love yourself recognize you're not perfect you're going to make mistakes recognize your strengths and your weaknesses if you need to have mantras and put it on a mirror, I love yourself. The um, There's something I think it's with Buddhism of, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be free from suffering. You know, say that to yourself. Um, and that's another thing I've done with college students. I did it in high school with eighth graders that they can make a mission statement for themselves, like who I am, like I am beautiful, I am smart. Continue to do whatever you can to love yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad, you know what? I'm glad that you're honest about like if, if what you had said, if that was your personal story of, you know, like that was pleasurable, then honor that. And, you know, like that's cool that you had a relationship that you were able to express that pleasure with someone, you know, that's really cool because like, it's that even when you, it's like, again, sexuality, that's just one part of our life. If we can have the same philosophy for everything in our life, does this bring me joy? Certainly there's certain parts of our, our jobs, like my full-time job, I have to do paperwork and certain things. I'm like, I don't want to do this, but that's part of the job. Yet overall, my job to me if I'm taking the ride I bought the ticket for, it's supposed to bring me joy. Me doing my podcast, the puberty process, is supposed to bring me joy. 
like the stuff, make sure it's bringing you joy. Like if I have something in my house and I look at it and I'm like, I really don't like that. Why do I have it? Because I need more stuff? No. And so I'm really glad too. And I, and this is part of me having to learn sometimes the more challenging way, but before we have something new come into our house, is it useful? Is it going to bring us joy? Mm-hmm. And look at that in your life. Like, look at, does this person bring me joy? And certainly certain relationships are going to be more challenging and you don't have a choice, but have joy in your life, whether it be with your sexual sexuality, whether it be your career with whatever it is, attempt to choose joy. And if you've come from a place uh, like you're in a family setting where there's not a lot of joy, and this I noted with myself, I was a very happy child. And uh, at times, I think I, I lost a couple of years of that as an adult because it was I was seeing how some people were using me And I'm like, but this is what I choose and putting me down at times that, you know, that's not how real life is. Real life is yucky and you can't trust people. I need to be around people that allow me to find that joy and that they're not going to use me. Some people that's because that's how they were were taught to use others. But I want to be around people that genuinely care for me and will support Lori, little Lori. And I have a photo of little Lori right here on my computer to be reminded um, who's going to support little Lori and big Lori, that she can have a fun and healthy life. And I can also enhance their lives too. Yeah. Um, Beautifully said. Yeah. That's a good um, explanation of how you listen to your inner voice and your true North. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have one more question for you. Sure. What's one thing you wish you knew as a teenager about sex and sexuality? If you could go back in time and tell your teenage self one thing, what would it be? Allow yourself to make decisions in which if you're going to be sexually physical with another person, that they are honorable, that they care about you. And allow yourself, you know, like if somebody's like, oh, you're so naive, you don't know that, be okay with that. This It's not a contest that you have to know everything. It's like, is there a contest to get to the grave or something? You know, it's, 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 we all have different experiences and some people are going to be more connected in this way and know things. Um, so yeah, there's, it's not a rush. It's not a rush for even having to know something. How's that? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so where can people connect with you? Well, they can go to my website. It's pubertyprof.com or laurireichel.com. And when you see the name for the description of this podcast, it's it's that. You can do a search for me. And you can also email me at pubertyprof at gmail.com. That's the email specific for my podcast. And um, if you're a health educator listening in, again, those ways. So, and feel free to listen to the Puberty Prof podcast if you're interested in being a guest, connect with me, Mm -hmm. 
because I want to make sure that like I'm doing the best I can with the tools that I've provided, that I've been provided and I continue to grow with that toolbox, having more tools in there. So if there's something um, that you hear and you question, please approach me, yet also do it out of kindness. Because I don't, um, we all have different paths. And I think we've, sometimes people can be like, well, I think this, that's great that you think that, yet I have a different path than you. Yeah, totally. So if people approach you, to tell you that you're wrong to do it nicely. Is that what you're saying? You know, but that's, isn't that like a, but that's a conflict resolution thing though, Phoebe. Totally. If, if they don't agree, and this is where we've lost some communication skills. That's why I love mm-hmm. like teaching future health educators. And we just did this whole thing this spring about what's communication skills. Mm-hmm. And they learn so much by teaching each other, but it also enhanced their personal life. And it's this, how can we agree to disagree? And how can we be kind to one another if we do disagree. Yeah. Not the whole thing about like sometimes I get angry and I can be snarky to a family member, but then I have to come back and go, sorry, that wasn't my best self. I didn't mean to say that. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is what I was trying to say. Yeah. That's what I request. Totally. <laughs> That's what everybody deserves. Yeah, I do believe that in this topic of sexuality, like going back to some people, you know, they're, ah, this is what I believe and you have to think this way or, you know, give people time to process, give people time to be like, well, this is how I was raised. And I was raised that this was sinful, that you can't just, it's not like a, a light switch, allow people to process and maybe heal. Yeah. You know, there's some healing that needs to go on. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I so appreciated it. It was great chatting with you. You're welcome, but thank you for your time too. And I look forward to talking with you in the future with the Puberty Prep yeah, Podcast. That sounds great. Okay. <laughs> thank you for listening to and subscribing to Sexuality After. A new episode comes out every second Tuesday. You can watch these podcasts as well on my YouTube channel, Tea with Phoebe D. And if you have a story to share, I'm always open and excited to have more amazing conversations. So please contact me via my information in the episode notes. If you want to find out more about me and my coaching, you can find me on the aforementioned YouTube channel or www.phoebed.com. If you want to know more about my interviewee or the things we talked about in this podcast, check out the episode notes on your podcast app. I hope you accept and love your humanity and sexuality a bit more after listening to this episode. See you in two weeks.